episode eight of Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop RPGs. This month is all about witch culture and gaming. How does this powerful female archetype affect our world at the table? We speak to Liz Chipotacool of Angry Hamster Publishing about her RPG, Witch Faded Souls. Then we chat with Holly Conrad, who plays the beloved Trashwitch Strix on D&D's Dice Camera Action, about the rising popularity of all things witchy. Finally, we'll hear from game designer Kat Cool in an audio story about her tenuous relationship with her family's history of witchcraft. But first, Kat's audio story would not be possible without the generous sponsorship by D20 Dames. Are the kill first, ask questions never, blood-soaked dungeons getting you down? Looking for some role-play and exploration-heavy gameplay? Then roll initiative with D20 Dames, a storytelling podcast powered by Dungeons & Dragons that is family-friendly and conjured into existence by witches. Or women. Every other week, these daring ladies explore a fantasy world with epic shenanigans like beheading or befriending monsters and punching a whole lot of creeps. Listen to them anywhere podcasts are free and check out d20dames.com. All right, everyone, let's talk witches. Liz Chiprodical is a game designer in the Netherlands and founder of Angry Hamster Publishing. She has a distinct approach to tabletop RPGs and designing systems that allow beautiful stories to unfold, all with a little touch of dark magic. I'm here today with Liz from Angry Hamster Publishing, which has included a number of games, including the witch RPG, Witch Faded Souls. I'm so excited to chat with you today, Liz. Thank you so much for having me on. So to start us off, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you develop an interest in tabletop RPGs? So it came from a very early age. At least I was always interested in the nerdy genre of things like Star Trek. Uh, And, you know, like The Hobbit was the first book I remember my mom reading to me type thing. And that kind of snowballed, as it does for many of us, into um, gaming when I got older. So that's really how I started. It was just, you know, in high school playing games with my friends. And then industry-wise, that came later on when I was in university. First of all, do you remember what the first RPG you played was? Dungeons & Dragons 3.5. Oh, that lovely gateway game. Were you, did you start off dungeon mastering or what was your first character? No, I was playing. So I was a half elf barbarian because, you know, I was, I was young and, you know, you have no gauge of like what an appropriate build is. So I just went for like what I thought the prettiest character would be that could kick the most butt. (laughs) (laughs) It was a terrible character. She was good at basically nothing besides for thinking that she was awesome. But it was also like a beautiful character in that way. You know, before I got into the world of like mechanics and what dice rolls actually meant and things like that. Mm -hmm. So then uh, you mentioned later on in college, this left to quote unquote industry stuff. So how did your interest, your hobby in tabletop RPGs lead to Angry Hamster Publishing? Well, um, I'd always been busy with writing and creative writing um, and things like that. And once I actually started game mastering, I did become the only game master for my friend group, as many of us do. It happens. And one day, my uh, my girlfriend, she she had basically, she was a journalist, and she had kind of contacts within um, Wizards of the Coast in the Living Forgotten Realms. And she was like, I love playing your game so much. Like, hey, did you, do you maybe want to write for them? Like, I have a friend who does that. And I was like, I'd love to, but I don't think anyone's going to want me to do that. (laughs) But apparently they did. And all, and and that kind of like snowballed from there to the point where like I was confident enough in my own writing skills to start writing my own role play game. And eventually that turned into Witch Faded Souls. And after uh, and sorry, Angry Hamster Publishing kind of came from that because I was like, oh, maybe I need a company for this because like I have a bunch more uh, games that I want to produce. How would you describe your style as a dungeon master, game master, and as a designer? Oh my goodness! Well, I think like I think it's all kind of encapsulated as like over involved in what players are doing and their personal lives and their personal drama. Like, you know, that goes for like me as a GM. I'm always kind of, you know, if I don't have a main plot line thought out and I normally don't, it's always based on what the characters have done and connecting them all together. 
And that kind of went into my writing as well. You know, my writing for which the game Familiars of Terror that I wrote after and the work, the game that I'm working on now, it's all focused on the players and their kind of personal struggles and what they're going through. Because I think that is like the most beautiful, fun thing to play through as a player. And it's what I love as a GM, because like you can just be so genuinely surprised by your players' reactions to things. And that just makes you want to create more and more drama for them, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I get, as a player, you definitely get more invested in a story when it's about you. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, and, and like as a GM, I feel like as a GM, it's the same way because it's like you get to watch this amazing kind of telenovela almost unfolding in front of you as like your players make terrible decisions, like, you know, based on like how they feel or like what they need to do because they made a promise. And that's just like, it's the best thing to experience, especially when people are really enjoying all the drama and like the kind of roadblocks you're putting in, in their way. Like that is so rewarding as a GM and also as, as someone who creates games, you know, like you hope that you create a system that really like amps up that player's connection to your game. Let's talk about Witch Faded Souls. Tell me about the game and what inspired it. So Witch Faded Souls is a modern dark fantasy role-playing game where you play a member of the Faded who is a witch or warlock who sold their soul to a demon for power. And ultimately, the game is about whether or not you're going to be able to regain your soul and kind of triumph over your demon, or you're going to fall into some sort of darkness, or you're going to kind of embrace this new creature almost that you are. And my inspiration came from it very much from what we just spoke about, which was that I wanted a game that kind of echoed some more traditional games that I played mechanically, but had a really heavy focus on the players and what they were doing and their own personal journey. And I wanted to kind of represent that through the system itself. Um, and it also just came from me loving all the lore that I had like consumed as a young adult and still consume as an adult with witches and witchcraft and everything and the like. I love the supernatural. It's so much fun. So that, that was kind of the basis for witch. So let's dig into that a little bit because the theme of this episode is witch culture and gaming. So what does the witch archetype mean to you? And then how did you capture that in Faded Souls? And what were some parts of it that you maybe turned on its head? I think for me, what kind of drew me to witch, witches in popular media is the fact that like every time I would see them as a kid, you know, like for example, like even like just taking the craft, it was like four badass women with power. And that like spoke to me on such a deep level. Because <laughs> I'm like, this is just so awesome. And the kind of idea that, you know, like they all had weaknesses, but that didn't hinder them. You know what I mean? Like through the, the grit you know, the grit underneath their fingernails and like kind of the clenching of their jaw, they were able to like overcome um, in some strange kind of mystical way that really kind of drew me to witchcraft. And like, you know, that comes back more and more in popular media. And of course, like witch, my game is a work of fiction. So even though I draw on maybe some historical sense, like it's very far removed from like what actual Wicca is. Um, and paganism and stuff like that, which we try to draw like an important distinction in my game because like, yeah, it, it doesn't have to do with the faith, basically. It's very much what the media is around witches and witchcraft. I think for me, the witch archetype, at least like if I have it in mind, is like someone with immense power and potential, but who's had to sacrifice a lot to get it. And I think that like the sacrifice is kind of like an intense personal struggle, which I love, and then gaining power from that and kind of supernatural power because like, I'm a person who doesn't believe in much in the real world. So like, I just love the idea that kind of through strife, you can gain something that makes you kind of like super awesome. You know what I mean? There's is there some sort of benefit for it, some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. Obviously, this comes back strongly in which Faded Souls because you basically, you literally give your soul. So like in the game, it assumes every person has a soul and it's something that you could actually barter with. But you know, after you make that mistake, it's your turn to kind of try to claw it back as a player. And I think that's kind of amazing and kind of links back to the whole idea that like, I've sacrificed something, now I get power and how am I going to turn that on its head? 
I think that's so fascinating that the game starts with this sacrifice, basically, and is all about clawing and getting your humanity back. I love the idea of that struggle. And also the idea, like, I think there's like, you know, some of the most interesting kind of characters that you see in popular culture. Like, I I just finished watching Avatar The Last Airbender, and they have the character Zuko, who like really struggles. Like, he starts off the series as like kind of this banished prince. And like the whole, his whole story arc, how he kind of claims back his redemption, spoiler alert, is, is so amazing. And he only really gets there, like there, there's four seasons, he gets there in the last season. And it's so rewarding because this guy, this, well, teenager has been through so much. And like, I love seeing that back in games. That's such a good point because, well, I'm completely biased. I love Zuko, my favorite character in that series. But I do feel that oftentimes audiences are drawn to that character who has that internal struggle like they're bad but you know that there's a part of them that's good or they're struggling with something that's that's maybe damaged them in their past and they're trying to overcome that and what i tried to kind of represent in witch is that like everyone goes through that like at least your entire coven will go through that in a certain way you know what i mean like everyone goes through these struggles and they're deep and they're meaningful for each person Um, And you can come out on top or like not, you know, you can also choose to do that. That's kind of like the overriding goal in which. So what are features or mechanics in the game that sort of support that struggle and dealing with that struggle? Well, basically, we have two types of leveling. So there's the normal XP leveling that you'll get for like completing a quest or like defeating a particularly difficult foe, which will allow you to kind of up your normal stats. But the way you actually progress in magic and become a more powerful witch, and we use that term kind of gender neutrally, or you know, you become a more powerful member of Fated Society, is actually by progressing your own personal plot. And when that happens, you gain enough like of those experience points in order to resummon your demon, and you have to negotiate with them again for more power. So this demon keeps popping into your life at the most inopportune moments where you have to negotiate with them and say, like, hey, like, I want more power because secretly, like, getting more power is your way to defeat your demon. But your demon may ask you to do terrible things and how you kind of decide to either do what they say or do what they say in a clever way to kind of trick them plays a huge part in which. Oh, that's fascinating. So it's very much that your metaphorical demons are actually like physical demons that keep reappearing in your life. Indeed. And like, and then the final, once you reach kind of the final spell level, we call it, you're actually, your goal is to like summon your demon to you once and for all and kind of kick its butt, like to defeat it. Whether you decide to be like the most evil person afterwards, whether you decide you get your soul back, whatever it is, like the one thing that you are going to do is defeat your personal demon. This sounds like the game makes for such epic storytelling. In playing Witch Faded Souls, is there any like particular moment or memory that stands out for you? Oh, gosh. Yeah. But like, it, it's a kind of a small moment. But I had a player who actually decided to it was, oh, it was so tragic. So she decided to play a single mom. <laughs> Like, you're not making the world easy on yourself. Like a single mom who had given her soul to her demon in order for power so that she could eventually take care of her daughter. And like everything was going fine and dandy. Well, it wasn't. It was going terribly, but like the game. (laughs) Um, And then there's just this heartbreaking moment where she decided, like she kind of had this moment of self-knowledge and she's like, I'm never going to be able to protect you the way I want to. And she gave up her daughter. It was so tragic. I was like, uh, I was so heartbroken. I'm like, no, you don't have to do this. I'll go easier on you. Oh, no. <laughs> she was like, she's like, no, it's the only way. And I was like, this is, I don't know. I can't, I can't deal with this. <laughs> I'm tearing up a little. That's so real and tragic and heartbreaking. Yeah, it just was really, yeah, it was just so sad. Tell me a little bit more about your experience in gaming as a hobby and in the industry as a woman? I mean, overall, I've had a very positive experience. There's been some not nice moments, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I know I'm like kind of glossing over. The thing about it is, is that like I, I entered 
the gaming kind of world as a hobbyist. And I didn't have any eyes set on ever becoming a professional when I started because like, yeah, I was young and it was just fun. And like the idea of writing a role play game was like kind of a distant memory, a distant, a distant dream, sorry. So I was very much had kind of the privilege to surround myself with amazing people, play games who I want to play with. And, you know, so I was very kind of insulated, I would say, from the role play industry as a whole. When I became a professional, that changed. Because obviously, you're not in a bubble anymore, really. You're putting your work out there for the world to see. And that's where you can encounter some more negative influences. Uh, Yeah, negative kind of things that you hear. And the more you know about the industry, the more the easier it is to get disillusioned. But saying that, like, when I encounter these type things, like I, I really just try to myself and with my own business, kind of bring positivity forward and promote the type of business practices and be the type of person that I want to see in the industry. And hopefully that's successful. So that people kind of coming up and kind of that come into the industry the same way I did, where who are just like, oh, this is a thing. Who knew? Know that there's kind of safe places and awesome companies to go to and games to play that like that represent them and the type of games they want to play. Do you have any advice for women who are starting out in design who think they want to pursue this as a career? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I feel like this is this is often said a lot. But imposter syndrome is a thing. We all go through it. But like what I would say to women and to people of color and any LGBTQA plus people who join the industry is I would say, please, please, please don't quit. Please know that your game is worth something, that just your input and being in this place and in this space and just playing games and developing games like is meaningful. Um, And please keep that like very deep in your heart and know that because that's really what's going to get you through. And, you know, just when someone tells, you no, find someone who's going to say yes, because like you are meaningful and you are worth it and tell yourself that 10 times a day, please. Yes, we need you. If we're going to change the overall gaming culture and in tabletop RPGs, we need people to to stay and and help us do that and represent all of the gamers out there. Yes, yes, exactly. Like just please stay. You know what I mean? Like there are people out there like you will you will find your squad, you will find your game and it will be amazing. So was there anything that I didn't ask you about, Liz, that you wanted to talk about, either some of your other games? Or I know you mentioned that there's something else that you're working on. I don't know if you can talk about that or not. Yeah, for sure. Um, So for my own company, we're working on a new game called Afterlife. And the pitch for Afterlife is basically that you die, but you don't go where you're meant to go. So like, you don't go to heaven, you don't go to hell, you don't get reincarnated, you don't just like sink into inky blackness and become nothing. What happens is that you take this long, dark boat ride with other people who have died. And when you are dropped off, you're dropped off in this kind of endless desert. And you have to try to find your way to where your soul is meant to rest by traveling through this afterlife, this tenebrous, this dark desert. That's what we call the desert, tenebrous. And you find your way to afterlife by living through memories of your past life because you have no idea who you are. So by gathering these memories of who you once were and kind of coming to terms with your life and how it was, you get to move on and find peace. Oh, I got like chills as you described that. Again, this is, first of all, your games start with some really big moments. You sold your soul, you die. (laughs) But they are very much about the personal journeys of the players, of the characters. Exactly. Like I'm pretty excited for this game because you, we have a kind of cool mechanical system where basically during the game, players can kind of name things that they think relate to their past life. So for example, like if they meet like this big evil guy, someone could be like, oh, that reminds me of my brother who constantly bullied me. And then basically the GM gets to incorporate that into the game and kind of make a memory around that for the players. So 
I, I'm really excited in this kind of like collaborative storytelling thing that's going to go on. So yeah, I'm I'm really hyped for Afterlife. It's also kind of the spiritual predecessor to Witch. I had a game that came out before called Familiars of Terra, and that was like kind of a happy-go-lucky heroic game. And this is kind of getting back to my roots of kind of like these dark stories to tell about people. Oh, well, I am so excited for Afterlife now and also just enamored with how your design brain works. Uh, these all just sounds, I love the dark aspects of it and how much it really is about like personal struggles. This sounds really great. So if people listening want to find out more about you, about Witch Faded Souls or about Afterlife and one that's coming out and where they can find it. How can they find you online? You can go to our website, angryhamsterpublishing.com. And from there, you can also sign up for our uh, mailing list. We only send a mail about once or twice a year when a new game's coming out, but like that's all you need to know. Um, but if you want more up-to-date information, you can find us on Facebook. We're at Angry Hamster Publishing, and we are also on Twitter at Angry Hamster RPG. Thank you, Liz, so much for taking some time to chat with me today and for just sharing these dark stories with all of us in the world of gaming. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Liz's Afterlife game is out now. Go to angryhamsterpublishing.com slash afterlife to find the free quick start guide and learn about the upcoming Kickstarter. Holly Conrad is known as Commander Holly on Twitch, where she streams gentle games like Stardew Valley and Garden Paws, and hosts talk shows like Mental Health Mondays and Spooky Saturdays. You might also know her as Strix, the Waffle Crew's pie-baking trash witch. Joined by her uh, chirping familiar Paco, we chat about how magic has touched Holly's life and why she thinks witchcraft is on the rise. Hi, Paco. Thanks for joining me for Behold Her. Hello. How's it going? Yes, Paco is here too. He just won't be quiet. <laughs> tweet, tweet. I know. Well, that's fine. Uh, I've got my my furry friend familiars here uh, also, so we'll see if they chime in. Aw. They're well behaved, um, though. I had to let Lucy in because she was just, I, when I had the door closed, she was nonstop meowing. Oh, no. <laughs> Mojo does that too, my cat. She'll just like, if she hears a door close, she immediately goes to that door and is like, meow. Yeah, it's like, excuse me, you forgot me. Excuse me. I know, I know. Ma'am, this must be a terrible mistake. <laughs> well, welcome to uh, The Beholder. Our episode today is all about witch culture and gaming. So, of course, I wanted to chat with the ultimate trash witch. <laughs> Hooray. So, I guess to start us off, how would you define witch culture? And this could be in general, it could be for you personally, or I mean, if, if they're different, tell me both. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really interesting. Because like, I mean, this is coming from a person when I was a kid in like high school, I had, I think it was one of like the old silver Ravenwolf books that was like to ride a silver broomstick, I think is what it was called. And uh, in high school, a friend let me borrow it. And I had to put a fake chemistry jacket on it because everyone thought that it was like dangerous. So I had to like put this fake, fake book. So like I would read it in class, but it would be listed as like a chemistry notebook. So I come from like a, a place where it was like, that was like a scary thing. Like the satanic panic was still like real in the town I grew up in. But like, I never, I never thought that any of that like had anything to do with it. I was just like, oh, like I like nature. I like the elements. This is cool. This makes me feel happy. And I think nowadays like witchcraft has evolved into, I know a lot more, a lot more solitary practitioners, a lot more people that are into it maybe for the aesthetic or maybe for, you know, any, any kind of reason. And I think that's really the best part of it is that, that I think I really have always liked about the idea of witchcraft, that it can be like the spirit of resistance or the spirit of being, you know, feminist or whatever you need it to be. I think it can be for you, which I think is really cool. Yeah. I feel like these days, especially if we're talking about, if we're talking about witches in general, but especially for gaming, there's like this archetype of the witch. And then there's, there's like the, uh, the old crone, but there's also right. like this really powerful magic wielding badass woman. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think, and that by, I think translates into like everything having to do with that kind of like archetype is like, especially in games that it can be mysterious. It can be powerful. And like, I've always loved wizards and mages and sorcerers. So it can be that too. (laughs) When you think back to your history of witchcraft and just interest in uh, literature and another thing with witches, how would you say that's influenced your interest in gaming and how you play D&D? I think, oh my gosh, I think it comes from like everything. I mean, the idea of magic has always been something that I've always loved ever since I was a kid. And like, you know, I read Harry Potter, of course, I was obsessed with Harry Potter. I was obsessed with the idea of being able to go to libraries and finding magic. And growing up, you know, I played, I played Baldur's Gate, like religiously. And I played um, a lot of got a lot of old RPGs, like King's Quest and Return to Crondor and like all of these older games as a kid. And I always loved the mage characters. And so I think that, you know, as I started playing D&D in high school, and doing more things like that. Like I just always wanted to play the character that could have magic. So it came from like all of my readings as a kid and games I played as a kid that I wanted to be the magic person. (laughs) What do you think it is about magic that drew you towards it? I think it's like what draws people to D and D in general, which is just the idea that you can solve a problem and maybe fix, you know, fix a, fix something with, I guess with knowledge in the sense of like what magic is with knowledge or some like you don't fix things with brute force necessarily like you fix them by being like, oh, I can cast an illusion or whatever says the person who like I cast fireball all the time, but that's just fun. (laughs) But I think like it's it's that idea that you can solve a problem without having to resort to any of our modern brute force things that are so scary. It's just like, oh, I can solve a problem by having magic. Let's talk about witch culture and witchcraft in other aspects of your life. You have Trash Witch Coven, uh, yes. for instance. Um, yeah, and that's uh, with my friend Kayla, who we all know is wonderful. What kind of that came from was just like my idea that I wanted to do. I wanted to make some some merch that's related and like adjacent to all of the things that I do, like Strix or like my mental health things and like a lot of my like witchcraft stuff. I just wanted some kind of like adjacent like fun clothes that like I wanted to wear <laughs> personally, like stuff that like I actually would want and what would want to wear. And so uh, that's how that kind of came about. And so like when Kayla and I work on designs, it might be something like a crow that says like boundaries or something like more directly related to like Strix and D and D or so like little rats with witch hats and things like that. And it's just, it's, it's really fun. And honestly, like it's great because it helps keep the pants on the pigeons, which is what I say, like make money. (laughs) So it helps them stay alive and eat, but it also like, is just really, really fun. And just a really like a project that brings me a lot of joy. Cause I love, I love the idea of making my own clothing and hopefully like one day I can even find a way to make like more custom stuff like sweaters and other cool stuff. But you know, right now it's, it's still really good as what it is. Where do y'all get your inspiration for your designs? I think, you know, obviously, like, Kayla's just too good at everything. So she'll just suggest something. And I'm like, I don't know how you do this. You're just too talented. So stop. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> like, yeah. So, like, and then, like, sometimes I'll be like, why don't we do, like, involving this? And so, like, I'll suggest ideas and then she'll run she'll run with it. So it's, it's very, it is actually really collaborative and fun. You also collaborate with Kayla <laughs> on this awesome new show Saturdays called Spooky Saturdays. And you're talking about, like, speaking of witch uh, and powerful badass witches, you're doing a Babala Saga episode. Yeah, well, we're talking about, I mean, yeah, pretty much the trope of and the, like, history of Baba Yaga, which is the you know, uh, Russian. I come from D and D, right? So yeah, yeah. No, it's the same thing. It's it's it's. Well, the interesting thing about that is there's so much to tie into that because of like Babala Saga is the one from Barovia, but then there's Baba Yaga who's actually in the D and D lore. So she's just like got all these little hag cronies around the world, which I think is fascinating. But anyway, and there's also other names for Baba Yaga. So that anyway, I did a bunch of research. But so yeah, <laughs> so like our our spooky Saturdays pretty much are. And we, we, it was, came from my mental health Mondays where I just like would start talking about aliens at the end of mental health Monday. And I was like, I can't do this. You guys like this, it has nothing to do with mental health Mondays. And then Kayla was like, let's do a show. And I was like, okay, that sounds better. <laughs> so then we decided to do that. And it's, what's been really fun is I studied medieval history in college. And so being able to go back to some of my like research roots has been really fun and, and really enjoyable for me. 
because like I actually get to like find some books and like go in and do like actual research and like find sources and and like I used to really really enjoy that and it also gave me a lot of inspiration for my D and D campaigns and for things I'm writing. So it's been really fun to just be able to do that and also like we'll do like ghost and alien episodes, which also is full of inspiration because people's stories are crazy. <laughs> so being able to read like all these crazy stories helps me a lot and keeps me inspired. So it's good. I usually watch the vods, but I was since I keep having conflicts on Saturday. But well, you're uh, so busy. It's <laughs> I was watching one of them live and was sitting there reading the chat and was getting really creeped out. <laughs> right? Because people's stories are scary. <laughs> But you mentioned your background uh, in history and interest in history. So actually, I'm wondering, do you have uh, favorite witchy figures uh, in uh, history or in lore? Yeah, I I have quite a few, actually. I think like some of my... Some of my favorite stories are some of the old, like, um, Irish Celtic stories, like one of them called the, the, the Toyn, which is about Cuchulain, who can, like, pull his intestines out and strangle people with them. Ugh. But uh, he runs into the Morrigan, which is one of my favorite, which he, his, like, historic, like, technically, like, war battle goddess sort of idea. We don't really have a lot of information on her other than, like, oral tradition and, like, reliefs and things like, like, there's just not a lot about her, but she's the one that, like, they would leave the corporate corpses on the battlefield to be eaten by the crows. And so she was represent. She's more or less the Raven Queen in reality, <laughs> which is super, super cool. And uh, yeah, I think there's there's a few really interesting like mythological characters like that that I really like. I've always loved Baba Yaga too, which I think Baba Yaga is great. And I took a Balkan folklore class in college because that's what, you know, that's what you do when you're a medieval studies major. So have uh, any of these figures or interest in any of these figures? You mentioned they've influenced your D&D campaigns. Do you have uh, any examples of how which history and culture has influenced your <laughs> D&D ga- campaigns? Yes. I mean, not necessarily my campaigns, but I definitely have an example of how I've gotten away with things from my history knowledge in my Dice Camera Action game. So there's actually like um, a lot of the saint stories and a lot of the things involving like saint magic and things like that all came from folk magic originally. So like saints ashes and saints bones and things like that all had like restorative properties. And a lot of like people would lie and be like, this is a piece of the true cross and sell it and like pilgrimages, which I think that originally came from like witchy folk magic stuff. It just they translated it to the church because that, you know, was more popular. So they would sell more pieces of the true cross. <laughs> but so we were um, at the tomb, I think, St. Markovia in Castle Ravenloft. And Dieth was cursed and Strix was trying to find a way to get him to not be cursed by the dark powers and all this stuff. And there's just a pile of saint's ashes. So she was like, stole some wine from Paulton and some of the saint's ashes and made, and was like, these will fix it and made Dieth drink them. <laughs> and Chris let me like cure the curse that way, which ah, I thought was cool. amazing because that's a real thing. Like that's like a real like thing from history being able to do something like that. So I was like, okay, I know this from history. Strix is smart enough and has enough, like she has like actually a really high religion knowledge. So I was like, I'm just going to do this. And it worked. It was great. Oh, that's awesome. When a DM rolls with it. I know. Yeah. And Chris does that a lot for us. Like sometimes he's like, what happens? And we're like, it works. And he's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I guess he figures that he makes us deal with enough that my history knowledge, I can get away with a little bit. So you mentioned that when you were younger, which culture was something scary, something you kind of had to hide from other people? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because I've always, you know, I've always loved mages and, and like magic and cloaks and things like that. And <laughs> it was interesting, you know, like when I was in high school, like I would wear cloak places just for fun because I was that, you know, that was what you do when you're in high school and me. <laughs> and, and people would always be like, oh, my God, you're a witch. Like, it's you're so scary. And I was like, OK, like it was just like a weird like thing it wasn't like a but which which was strange though because the in the town i lived in also had like a like pagan day like i don't know it was just bizarre but i feel like people were just if they didn't understand it they were scared and that's usually how it goes for most things (laughs) so what do you think it is about now that has made witch culture so prevalent i don't know if it's because i'm more tuned in or it truly is like seeing a rise because like you mentioned it's it's People are kind of harnessing it for an aesthetic. 
I feel like especially in Seattle, uh, I'm seeing a lot more just like at the mall, yeah. in, like any store, like pagan books. Yeah, I mean, even at urban, even at Urban Outfitters, there's like books on witchcraft. Yeah, like, like crystals and things. And this is a, you know, this is a chain store. Technically, I think it's like owned by the Gap or something. I don't yeah, know. I think like <laughs> last year, like late last year, wasn't there like a perfume company that was going to release through Sephora? Uh, yeah. starter set that had like a tarot yeah. deck and like crystals at Sephora at a makeup yeah. store and the mall. Yeah, no, it's, I it, there's definitely a trend. It's, it's definitely something that's been on the upswing since I was in high school. I mean, like in high school, obviously no one cared, but now it's like, I think in the past probably like five or six years, I've seen a rise in that sort of thing. It's interesting because it's, I feel like it almost has to do with the current political climate right now. I think that has a lot to do with it because I feel like people are faced with so many things on in the news on like a daily basis that they feel so helpless to deal with that like surrounding yourself with these like things, being able to cleanse your space with sage and like doing all these self-care sort of things kind of just keeps us above water. You know what I mean? I think technology and because of the news and everything, everyone's bombarded with information so often. It's almost like why people, again, why people are turning to D&D because we're able to turn all of that off and go into a real space and just kind of be present with our friends. And I feel like witchcraft and those sorts of self-care practices are sort of the same thing. Being able to sit there, you know, and meditate on a crystal is healthier for you than looking at your phone all day. (laughs) You're at least taking a moment to be present. And I think people are kind of realizing that in a lot of different ways. Yeah, like it's very, like you mentioned, it's very meditative. It's very much about setting intentions, which is really a lot of what self-care is. Yeah, absolutely. And I I always say that like I practice witchcraft as a like self-care practice and setting intentions and doing things like that and being thankful to, you know, whatever the universe is or whatever you're talking to or whatever. It's just like, it's an idea of being thankful for being alive and being thankful for nature and just being able to set an intention for the day or set an intention to an object Or even like give friends something that's like, oh, I made this. It's a little, all the little herbs in this bag are mean protection. You know, it's just like nice things like that. So you've spoken on Mental Health Monday a few times about your attending witch school here in Seattle. Has there been anything that happened there that has changed your perspective or taught you something new about witchcraft? Yeah. So I think, I think honestly, lots. Ilva is the high priestess over at the Cunning Crow Apothecary in Seattle, which is where I go. And it's just, I mean, the people are all really kind and really, really open hearted. And it's, it's almost, I go to therapy every week, but I almost sometimes feel like it's, I'm getting therapy there as well, (laughs) because it's just like, it's the idea again of meditating. Like we'll do a meditation or we'll do like, she'll play like the drum and do like, we'll do like singing and things like that. And I didn't grow up with any kind of religion or anything like that, but I loved singing and I love positive spaces. And I love the idea that we're just honoring just the things around us and being alive. And I think that's, that's something that I've like, I feel is kind of a healthy thing to have. Like I'm, I've been so like, I guess like academic in my life for so long that just being able to sit down and be like, you know what, I'm just going to sit here and just listen to this and just feel like I'm part of the universe and this, this is nice and I'm safe. And it's, it's refreshing. Oh, so, I'm so glad you found it. Yeah. And it's really nice. And it's, I don't know, I think it's a really good experience and I'm, I'm really lucky to have it so close to where I live too. So. Was there anything I didn't ask you about that you wanted to share? So this could be like, if there's any favorite witchy stories you'd love to tell or upcoming projects you want to talk about. One of the things I'm hoping to finish, or at least this year is do a Strix cookbook. So I'd really like to like, hopefully maybe even do like a Kickstarter or something like that. So I'm starting to to like figure out the recipes and and do the writing and all of that. So I'm really excited for that. But that's like my only like current big secret project thingy that I'm working on. Ooh, that's very exciting. Lots of pie recipes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll, I think it'll just be pie recipes for the, the first one. And then if people like it, I might do like savory recipes for the second one or something. Ooh, that sounds awesome. And I bet I'm just think imagining like this grungy cookbook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, it's like the same sort of thing as I want to work in some historical 
you know, historical recipes, a lot of like maybe even some added herbs that have like different magical properties and things like that. So working in that like witchcraft side along with like the history side and all the things that I really like. So it'll be very researched. If Strix were, say, in our world, a modern day witch, would she be a kitchen witch? I think she'd definitely be kind of a kitchen witch and a hedge witch because she goes out and grabs stuff from the dirt all the time. So I feel like she'd be a bit of both. I feel like she grows plants a lot better than I do. She definitely keeps plants alive where I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I try to. They're they're doing okay now. Oh, good. uh, Well-intentioned. Holly, thanks again so much for coming on to Beholder, sharing some stories with us, uh, sharing a little bit about your history and some of the things that you're up to. Uh, If people want to learn more, and make sure they know when that cookbook Kickstarter launches, how can they find you? Yeah, you can just find me on Holly Con- at Holly Conrad on Twitter and Commander Holly everywhere else. You can just find me there. And I'm so sorry for all my animals and tooting and tweeting. They just want attention. <laughs> I like that as we're ending, everyone's silent. Yeah, no, they're just like, I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> so <laughs> this is what's happening right now. is a game designer, podcaster, and storyteller who's known for being a witch enthusiast. But that doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. In this audio story sponsored by D20 Dames, Kat shares what it was like growing up in a family of witches and how it's affected her view of witchcraft and culture. I have a complicated relationship with witchcraft. It would be disingenuous to start this anywhere else, not just to get that out up front. Some of my earliest memories involve both the good of my family's relationship with it and the bad. I guess that explaining the family stuff is the place to start this. I'm an Ecuadorian-American, second generation. My family is a family of witches. We're the bastard offshoot of a prominent political line. The men largely went into the church, We boast one of Ecuador's two saints, and the women largely turned to witchcraft. They didn't only do that. They also, everyone, upkept some gambling dens. I view these things as all pretty related, and my immediate family story as kind of the perfect culmination of this intersection. I guess I'll pause to tell you why I'm telling you this. I guess it's because I have lots of problems with the largely commercial and predominantly white modern American face of witchcraft that's been blasted at me my whole life, and that everyone seems to think I mean when I say I'm interested in witches. I mean, I like black cats, I've been to Salem, and I get that there are spiritual practices involved in folks' witchcraft that I don't want to naysay even if I could never begin to relate to them, but, (laughs) like... It's difficult to overstate how much witchcraft and the effects of it have fucked with my life, with my family's whole deal, and like how this complicated thing informs my sense of self as a Latina, and how I interact with my community as a minority, and I never see people talk about these things. For some reason, this thing I live constantly doesn't even seem to be known. So, (laughs) this is what I mean when I say I'm a witch enthusiast. My mother, not to be coy about it, uh, my mother was raised by two people. One person I think of as a good witch, and one person I think of as a bad witch. Because of that, she has a pretty complicated relationship with magic, and growing up never wanted me to touch the stuff. I first found that out when I found a box of abuelas, the bad witches, magic things, in our crawl space when I was three or so. They were beautiful things like silks and tarot cards, jewels, and complicated devices. I loved them. Mom got very mad and scared. Like what I imagine Leia seeing a young Ben Solo do a kind of dark force move mad and scared would be, and gave me this super traumatizing speech about how I should never tell stories or lies. She took me to Ecuador soon after, where I met Antuca, the good witch, and learned a bit about witching. Good witching, for my young observations, is a combo of giving people plant-based medicine from your farm minor fortune-telling, listening to people's problems, having common sense, and being more kind than nice. Mostly like the sort of witch you'd expect from Terry Pratchett. Mom spent most of her childhood alone with Antuka, a woman who, when I was four, was well into her 80s. Antuka lived her whole life by herself, sometimes raising other people's kids, and no one messed with her. 
I get that witchcraft. I get how the community appreciated Antuka, and I get how it protected her and protected my mother. Mom has never referred to any of what Antuka did as lies, and sometimes has me do those things for her. Let's talk about lies. Abuela's a successful international con artist. Mom lived with Antuka on and off because of this. While Abuela worked grifting, Mom was often inconvenient, so got left behind. Abuela was also largely raised by Antuka. Her whole deal makes a lot of sense to me. She's someone who didn't have a lot of money growing up, who had a pretty terrible family, and no prospects. She knew a lot about gambling from a dealer's perspective, and had been learning witching skills like cold reading from near infancy. Why wouldn't she use that to leave? She's someone whose life I don't envy, and who I feel for in many ways, but in others, she made my mom's life hell and has hurt many, many other people by being quite a good con artist. So it's often difficult to think of her as much other than a villain, and her variety of magic is the type I see all the time. Egg trick scams, blessings scams, psychics in general. I don't really want to get into the specifics of all of this, but the gist here is to take witchcrafty things you might think to go and pay for, things like tarot readings, and then start really turning a profit. I don't know. I feel like I've known about this stuff since I was like four, and it's never gone away even a little, ever. It just becomes more of what I think witchcraft is. And I get that you're like, no, but for me it's a whole spiritual thing. Sure, but... But what does that mean to the Spanish-language witchcraft school I used to live by that taught these exact techniques? I'm pretty sure for people like me, witching is this other thing. I was working at Groupon a while back and looking at reviews of places and, like, almost had a panic attack at my desk because I realized that there was this whole network of spiritualists in Illinois who were doing egg tricks on folks, not just alone, but in coordination with some contractors. (laughs) That's, like, abuela-level stuff. That's what I'm used to. That's mom's whole don't lie in action. Folks are out there lying. But I guess my actual point is that good witches are lying too. At least I think they are. I never meant to be a witch. Once I found out magic really wasn't real and that you had to make it yourself by lying to people, it's always made me pretty sad. I didn't want to do that. I didn't and don't like the responsibility. But as I said up top, I came from a family of witches, and while I prefer to just be a witch enthusiast and refer to myself as such, here are some recent things that have happened to me so you can see what I think's missing from the witch discussion. Snapshot 1. I live in a majority Latino part of the city. An older Latina Lyft driver picks me up, assesses me, then starts telling me about how her house has a demon in it, and she isn't sure what to do. She's legitimately asking for help and is looking through the rear view as though I'm going to have this one. I take a moment to make sure I'm not likely to do some actual harm, then start in with some questions about the place, about how long she's been there, about who's living with her, things like that, and wind up giving some super confident advice that amounts to cleaning up the place and politely but firmly telling the demon to leave. It has no power there, and it's only around because she isn't claiming the space. She seems immensely relieved. I'm lying, but it sounds like the place is just messy, and her thoughts are unsettled by something else, and this lie is the work that's currently needed. Snapshot 2. A friend who knows I do not care for tarot, but seems to think I'm more of a legit magic witch than most, is having a problem with a friendship and isn't making a move to act one way or the other. They ask for a reading. I do the best reading Abuela taught me to give, using the cards mostly as a means to help my friend talk through their feelings. They eventually act. Tarot sucks. (laughs) It reminds me of both abuela and white witchcraft, but it's a useful tool. If lying that way helps people to sort their minds, I do not see the harm. Snapshot 3. My mom calls. Because she had another omen and wants my help interpreting it. I loathe these calls. Mom isn't particularly considerate of my boundaries. But no one else gets her lexicon of Japano, Amera, Ecuadorian references, and she's too Catholic on the streets to let on that she's from a witch family to her white friends, so I deal with the calls. We decipher the dream. Part of the omen has to do with my chronic pain being me absorbing Abuela's power as she's slowly dying in Florida. 
Mom's mind has heard the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. I tell Mom how much this hurts me to hear, but that hurts her to hear, so we don't talk about it much beyond that except for her telling me that I am very much like her mother, and she thinks a strong witch with great powers besides. I remind her that Abuela was a horrible person, and that magic isn't real. She says she knows, but that she loved her very much, and that even if magic isn't real, we Estrella women are more magic than everyone else. We're great at cursing people, and we know when the phone's going to ring. Every time! I laugh back and confirm for her that we are that magical. I hate lying with mom like this. I hate pretending. But reminding her about my boundaries doesn't work, and not letting her connect with the women that she's lost to death and dementia through me, and not letting her believe in the magic that justifies her upbringing, seems impossibly cruel. So I lie and do the work. From what I saw in Tukadu, I'm pretty sure this is witchcraft. Other people have this life. Other people see witchcraft as a lie they perform, to either soothe or harm and steal from others. It isn't just black cats and altars, though I do have a black cat. I guess people knowingly participating in a lie isn't as hopeful or fun as belief. But I don't know. People like Abuelo robbed me of my ability to hope outside of the bounds of reality pretty early, and I find comfort in practical things. I think knowingly participating in a lie is a bit sad, but it's sad in the Santa Claus way. It's a bittersweet thing that just makes me go, ah, I wonder why we need that lie, each time. I wish the world was better so we didn't have to lie to make it better. I wish people were better. I wish people didn't lie the bad way. But even more than that, I wish the world wasn't bad enough that people didn't have to lie the bad way, or even the good way. Like, I see the value Antuka brought to her town, but I doubt she'd have taken the job if it didn't guarantee her some security and gravitas as a woman living on her own with little in the way of means, you know? There's a reason people turn to lying to live. That's what witchcraft is to me. I think it would be neat if we told these stories, too. If you want to learn more about Kat, check out Burn Bright on Roll20, which she helped design, or listen to Autonomic Podcast, an all-ages actual play that she hosts. You can also find Kat on Twitter, at Kat, K-A-T underscore, K-U-H-L underscore. Thank you, Kat, Liz, and Holly for sharing your stories with Beholder, and thank you again, D20 Dames, for making this possible. Behold Her Podcast will be back next month with an episode all about accessibility in gaming. How can we make tabletop RPGs a hobby anyone can enjoy? See you then.